Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not trans women are women, and we're starting right now. With Vosh's opening statement, thanks so much for being with us, Vosh. The floor is all yours. Hello, uh, I'm Vosh. Okay, so there are two basic arguments here. First of all, the idea of sex and gender being distinct uh, uh categories. They obviously are. I don't think anybody disbelieves this. There are obviously things that we refer to, which are in the purview of the experience of being a man and a woman, which are not defined biologically, whether it be light blue and pink being distinguished gendered colors, the clothing that we wear, the way we style our hair. These are things which are not derivative of our biology. They are derivative of social standards, which change. You can look at other parts of the world, in which they're different. You can look at different points in time within our own country, and they are different. There's no getting around that. It's not like biology is changing rapidly year to year as the fashions do. If if people don't like, you know, the idea of gender and sex being separate, that we can simply say that when I refer to gender, I'm referring to some other separate category that is not sex, but describes social differences um, that tend to be associated with sexual ones. And once you have that you know, nailed down. The following argument is one of utility. Uh, we construct definitions. We do it to serve our own purposes as humans. The only reason definitions exist is because they serve us. We are their masters. And if I believe, as is the case, by the way, of many medical and psychiatric institutions, if we believe that the uh, definition of woman uh, uh, being one tied entirely to sexual differentiation is arbitrary, inconsistent, and harmful, um, and that there is a better, a more utility-serving definition one to use, say by self-identification, then that is the one that I will use. I have no interest whatsoever in abiding by some harmful, arbitrary standard out of a need to stick to tradition when there's a perfectly serviceable and better one that makes people more happy and hurts nobody lying right there. And that is why I say prescriptively, the trans women are women, and descriptively, uh, they have been treated as women uh, historically in our society uh, in varying extents throughout history, depending on the culture and time period. It's a complicated business, but we can get there. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening, Vosh. And if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, want to let you know, folks, we're a neutral platform hosting debates panels and discussions on virtually every topic want to let you know we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you were from and we're going to kick it over to dr bogardis for his opening as well want to remind you the speaker's views are their own so the speakers are not speaking on behalf of any institution that they are affiliated with or have been affiliated with and Dr. Thomas Bogardus is an associate professor of philosophy. He earned his PhD from the University of Texas and works in the areas of epistemology, philosophy of mind, and philosophy of gender. You can find his publications on his website by Googling, Googling his name, and both guests are linked in the description right now. With that, Dr. D Dr. Bogardus, thanks for being with us. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. All right. Can I share my screen? Okay. Um, so everybody can see that, yeah? Yep. Okay, um, so if you're unable to see this for some reason, you should know that the slides are available at tinyurl.com slash modern day debate June, uh, the month of June, and there's no spaces or capitals in there. 
Okay, I'm just going to start my timer right now. So um, the topic of our conversation today is um, this sentence, trans women are women, whether trans women are women. And what I want to try to do is explain um, why this is such a persistent philosophical question. I started thinking about this about six or seven years ago. And so I'm going to share some of the things I've learned in that time um, and try to convey to you the, the landscape of the debate as I see it um, in a way that I hope will be useful and interesting, no matter what your views are on this topic. And to try to explain why it's a persistent philosophical question, um, specifically what I'm gonna do is try to show how on six common interpretations of this sentence, trans women are women, including five that Vosh has explored and endorsed, uh, the sentence turns out not to be true. So um, just a quick, I think obvious clarification. I think it's pretty obvious to everyone that um, when people say trans women are women, what they mean is, all trans women are women, not just some. So I think that's the question under, under consideration, whether all trans women are women. Now, to see whether that's true or false, to evaluate whether that's true or false, I think we would have to get clear on what it means to be a woman. We'd have to think about the meaning of that word woman in order to see whether it's true that all trans women are women. And so now I'm going to consider those views I promised a second ago. The first view is <clears throat> what we might call a biological view, according to which Women are adult human females. Um, now, I think this is the sort of traditional, historical, ordinary sense of the word. This is what the word ordinarily means. Um, there are a few reasons to think that. We can talk about these in the discussion period if you'd like. Um, first of all, there's words for other species that we use for the adult males and the adult females of those species. And it would be pretty surprising if we didn't have similar words for um, the adult males and adult females of our species. Uh, this is the definition that virtually all dictionaries give. Of course, dictionaries aren't infallible. They make mistakes. But the fact that this is what dictionaries say is some evidence that this is the way the word is ordinarily used. Um, but most importantly, I think the strongest bit of evidence is that, um, as far as I can tell, virtually all trans-inclusive philosophers agree that this is the ordinary use of the word. Um, that, that doesn't mean they recommend it, um, but they acknowledge and concede that this is what people ordinarily mean. I'm not sure whether Vosh agrees. Um, he said some things um, that sound like he might disagree. Um, just a few days ago, he said, um, there's so much arbitrariety with how these terms get posed. I don't think that a biologically prescriptivist attitude towards gender is the historically correct one. So possibly Vosh disagrees with this. But as I said, a lot of trans-inclusive philosophers agree that this is the way the word is used in dominant mainstream contexts. So here's some quotations I'll let you <clears throat> read those on your own. But Robin Dembrov, Mari Mikola, Sally Haslinger, Jennifer Saul, these are all philosophers working very much from a trans-inclusive direction. Um, Simone de Beauvoir um, seems to use the word in this ordinary biological way as well. Um, again, that's not to mean they recommend this definition. Um, a lot of these philosophers think that this is a problem and we need to change it. Because when you think about the question whether all trans women are women, if being a woman requires being biologically female, then these philosophers think it's gonna turn out that not all trans women are women. In fact, none are. And they consider that to be a problem. Here's a quotation from Catherine Jenkins saying as much, saying that if you fail to respect the gender identifications of trans people, that's a serious harm. And I think Vosh would agree that that is a problem. Um, back in 2021, said if someone makes an argument that a person isn't a woman, when they claim to be a woman, I would say that's transphobic. And then here's another quotation saying something similar. I'll let you read. Okay, so as I say, a lot of philosophers wish to move away from this view of 
what it means to be a woman. And one alternative that they've explored is what we might call a social role view, according to which uh, to be a woman is to be someone who functions or behaves or is treated a certain way socially. Um, now, sometimes Vosh seems to endorse this sort of view. Uh, here's an example from back in March. So he says, I am a gender abolitionist, so I don't want these designations at all. But as long as they exist, these designations, men and women, we're talking about social roles. Um, and again, just a few days ago, so he says, um, given how arbitrary these definitions are, I think one where we acknowledge that man and woman, as we refer to it generally is a social trend, something which refers to social roles and attitudes, not biology, that's probably the one that hurts the fewest, fewest people. Okay, so that's the social role view. And now the question before us is, does this sentence come out as true or false on the social role view? Will it be true that all trans women are women? Um, well, to figure that out, we'd have to know exactly what social role we're talking about. What is the social role that is taken to be definitive of womanhood? And it turns out it's pretty hard to say what social role we're talking about exactly, given, as Vosh said in his opening statement, all the variation across time and culture. It's hard to say what social role is had in common by all and only women throughout time and place. But even if you found one and said, there, that's the social role that's definitive of being a woman. There's a problem because there's no guarantee that all trans women will play that role, will, will occupy that position in society. Catherine Jenkins, again, a trans-inclusive philosopher, criticizes the social role view on those grounds, saying there could, there may well be, and there easily could be, and there may in fact be, trans individuals who do not present as women, and so are not treated as women, don't play this role, don't occupy this position in society. Or there could be um, trans individuals who do present as women, but aren't read as women or aren't taken seriously or aren't <clears throat> treated as women, um, in which case they won't occupy the right position in society in order to count as a woman on this social role view. So um, my sense of the state of play in the current philosophical debate is um, philosophers have moved away from this social role view because um, it turns out false that all trans women are women on this view. Um, and at least in the popular culture and even in the philosophical literature, the view that's sort of rising to prominence is a self-ID view. I think that's um, coming to be the most popular view, as I said, at least at the popular level. So on this view, um, we're told to be a woman is to be someone who identifies as a woman. And I won't be the first to notice that, oh, well, here's a quotation from Bosch endorsing that, by the way. Okay, but I won't be the first to notice that it looks like there's a threat of circularity here. We were asked what a or we asked what a woman is, and the definition used the word woman um, when defining the term. But it may be that there's no actual circularity here if the word woman in the definition means something else than um, the meaning we're supposed to get from this definition. So let me give you one example. Here's something um, Vosh said. He said, if you want. You can say a woman is a person who would like to internally and externally adhere to the social roles and expectations associated with a woman, or at the very least, a social archetype. So again, thread of circularity because we're using the word woman there, but suppose we meant woman in the ordinary sense, adult human females, just suppose that's what was meant. Um, so it's not the very same sense to be defined, um, it's another sense. Well, the problem is that um, many women won't want that, um, many women don't wish to adhere to the social roles and expectations associated with being an adult human female. 
As Catherine Jenkins has pointed out, a lot of women flout traditional gender norms by, Catherine Jenkins says, for example, not shaving legs. Um, Elizabeth Barnes, another trans-inclusive philosopher, points out that um, there might be some women with cognitive disabilities such that they um, lack the ability to have this desire, to conceptualize this desire, to want to um, adhere to these social roles. And um, more relevant for our purposes, it could easily turn out that some trans women might not like to adhere to these social roles or these expectations. Um, for example, some trans women who say they don't owe you femininity. Um, so the first point was just, if this definition is not circular, then whatever the word woman means in the definition, uh, it's gonna turn out that not all trans women are women. What if it is circular? What if we're told, no, to be a woman is to identify as a woman in the very same sense to be defined. So Vash is not so sure that there's a problem here. Um, back in May, he said, my definition of gender, which is just a woman is someone who identifies as one. People complain about it being circular, but I don't think that matters. So I think it does matter for at least two reasons that I'll try to explain. Um, one is that a circular definition can't convey any meaning. It can't actually tell you what the word means. Um, but secondly, even if the word has a meaning, it didn't get it from this definition, but suppose it has a meaning, the statement that to be a woman is to identify as a woman has to be false. It's necessarily false. So I'll explain these two in turn. So one problem is that circular definitions can't convey meaning. Here's one way to see that. What we're being told is that someone is a woman if and only if she identifies as a woman. But now suppose we ask, well, what does it mean? What does woman mean there in the definition? What are you identifying as when you identify as a woman? On this alternative, we're being told the very same sense to be defined. So what you're identifying as is someone who identifies as a woman. That's what you're identifying as, because that's what a woman is. But notice woman shows up again in the definition. And so suppose we do another round of recursion. And now the definition says, to be a woman is to be someone who identifies as someone, who identifies as someone, who identifies as, and you see that this will just keep going, will never eliminate the circularity. It goes on forever. We've got this infinite descent. And there's this irredeemable void there in the definition, um, which means that the definition never expresses any proposition. It never actually tells you what the word means. It just keeps promising you a meaning if you just do one more recursion, um, but you never get there. So that's one way to see why um, circular definitions are deficient. Here's another way, it's sort of a little sillier, but um, suppose I tell you that you know, people collect baseball cards and pogs, I don't really know what a pog is. Um, I collect blargs. And suppose you wonder what a blarg is, and I define it for you in a circular way. I say, look, a blarg is just anything that has this really cool feature. It's a blarg. So clearly that's a circular definition. Now, if you really think that there's no problem with circular definitions, then you should be able to find me a blarg, especially if I give you a hint that there's one in the room with you now, and I offer you $50 if you could just find that blarg and bring it to me. So if there's nothing wrong with circular definitions, you should be able to find a blarg. You should be in a position to know what a blarg is, but obviously you're not in that position. You can't find this blarg because the definition was circular. So that's another way to see why circular definitions are deficient. Okay, but suppose that somehow the word woman got meaning independently, maybe by pointing or ostention. That's a way that we define words commonly. I think still, even if the word does have a meaning, the claim that to be a woman 
is to identify as a woman. Someone's a woman, if and only if she identifies as a woman. That has to be false. And here's why. Um, on this view, on this proposal, if that phrase being a woman refers to anything, then we're told it refers to a very interesting characteristic, a very interesting feature. It's a feature that someone has if and only if she identifies as having it. There's this tight connection between having the feature, being a woman, and identifying as having the feature, identifying as a woman. But if you think about it, um, I think you'll realize that there simply is no feature like that. There's no characteristic that you could have if and only if you identify as having it. There's no way you could be if and only if you identify as being that way. Just think about ordinary features like um, being funny or being tall or being rich or something like that. It's one thing to be rich. It's something else to identify as being rich. You could be rich without identifying as being rich. You could identify as being rich without actually being rich and so on. And this just holds generally for every feature, any property you choose, any feature you choose. Um, and so what that means, what one and two entail here is on this view, the phrase being a woman doesn't refer to anything because there's no feature that answers to this definition. There's no such thing. And so um, a kind of surprising result is on this view, it looks like there are no women and there are no trans women, therefore. And for our purposes, what follows is um, it's false that all trans women are women, or at least it's not true. Um, in fact, it looks like none are because there are no women at all. Okay, um, here's a couple other views. I think those are sort of the big three, but here are some other views that have been discussed um, by Vosh. One is gender abolition. On this view, ideally, there are no genders. So ideally, women don't exist. Here's Vosh expressing that sort of view. I think gender is a destructive concept, he says, so eventually I want it gone. Sally Haslinger, trans-inclusive philosopher at MIT, says something similar. She adopted a social role view. She thought to be a woman is to be oppressed. So she says a main um, part of the project of feminism is to eliminate women, <laughs> which sounds kind of surprising, um, but that was her view. So um, I think we can at least agree that on this view, if you ask um, how things should be ideally, um, they would say ideally, uh, there are no women at all. And they would say, ideally, there are no trans women. Uh, so that's a kind of surprising implication of that view. Here's another one, which I think Vash might want to defend today. He says um, in his opening statements that he says prescriptively, trans women are women. So that's another view that I've heard expressed in his videos. Um, on this view, when you say trans women are women, um, what you're actually doing is giving a kind of command or prescription. You're saying you should speak and act as though trans women or women is literally true. You should speak and act as though trans women or women is literally true. And if you ask why, as Vosh said in his opening statement, it's justified by utility, by good consequences, by benefits. Um, so here's a statement of Vosh uh, sort of expressing that. So he says, um, what people mean when they say they're women is, woman is a social category I'd like to be a part of. I wanna think of myself as, a, as part of it and be thought of as part of it. Um, Tali May Betcher, a trans philosopher says something similar in trans inclusive and queer communities gender presentation indicates how you want to be treated. So if you think that we should treat people how they wanna be treated, then when you say trans women are women, what you might be communicating is we should treat people how they wanna be treated. We should treat trans women how they wanna be treated. Okay, and again, it's justified by utility. So I'll just point out with respect to the prescriptive claim, whether this is something we should do, something that doesn't seem to enter into um, everybody's moral calculations is whether or not what we're saying is true. 
60, and, 60 seconds uh, left. 60 seconds left. Okay. And given what I've said so far, it looks like this statement, trans women are women, is uh, literally not true. And so we can at least agree on that. If we asked this prescriptivist view, strictly speaking, literally, are all trans women women? I think, given what we've said, the view has to agree with, has to say no. Okay, let's see if I can fit this in. I ran out of space on my slide, but sometimes Vosh seems to be a nihilist or an anti-realist about gender. Um, sometimes he says gender concepts are arbitrary social designations, and in reality, there are no men, no women, etc. Here's a quotation from Bosch back in 2019 saying, all categories are socially constructed. They don't exist in nature. We built them. So if you hold that view, and then you ask, well, really, literally, um, are all trans women women? I think the view has to say no. In reality, no. Okay, so I tried to show that the statement trans women are women is not true on every view we've looked at, including five from Bosch. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much for that opening. And with that, we're going to jump into open conversation. Want to say, folks, thrilled to let you know we have a lot of upcoming debates. You don't want to miss them. So, for example, just confirm today at the bottom right of your screen whether or not it is okay for kids to go to drag queen shows with... You betcha, Vosh and Alex Stein next Tuesday. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss it. And with that, we're going to jump into open conversation. Thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. All right. I'm sure that you won't mind after that if I take a moment to respond to your premises, as I have plenty to say, as we, as we it seems we both do. So the issue I have here is that every, um, I feel as though you've misrepresented some of my views and definitions here. And what's more, all of these views are incoherent. The, the construct I often find is that people treat the biological view as though because it's the traditionally accepted one, it's the coherent one. But in reality, it's nothing but. There's a reason why nature, the arguably one of the most respected scientific journals in the history of the species, um, has been putting out article after op-ed about how um, the idea that sex and gender are the same or that gender should be considered an extension of a biological category is ahistorical, ascientific, and just false. And the reason for that is because what you obfuscate when you refer to the biological sex version of gender is the literal millennia of arguments and inconsistencies over what exactly it means to draw that line. Of course, for most of human's history, we have no idea what chromosomes or even hormone washes are. So only recently has a full understanding of the actual things that differentiate biological males and females even been known to us. But even leaving that aside, long standing have been the practices of intersex people having their genitals mutilated by doctors who want to get them cleanly fit in one category or another, biologically male or biologically female, often to the psychological detriment of those people because those doctors doctors are trying to force people into a binary construct that just doesn't work. And the existence of intersex people at all simply destroys the concept of a sex-based gender, because a binary is just that, a binary. You can't have a system that you claim is coherent when it's like, well, 99% of people fit to it. Well, 99% of people leaves out millions. And what are those millions then? Aberrant counterexamples? No, the system never functioned and it never made that much sense. And it never survived scrutiny, by the way. It's not as though medieval French peasants were undergoing significant sociological analysis of the concept of the social construction of sex. They didn't have sociology back then. It's a fairly modern construction. When it comes to 
what we talk about, like with the prescription of gender and all statements of definition are prescriptive, by the way, because we do create these definitions. We didn't unearth them in stone tablets written by God. You know, we had to make efforts to understand them. Um, what we're really doing is trying to find what serves us best. Now, there is meaningful utility in understanding the difference between a biological male and a biological female. There are categorical differences that are worth respecting in a biological sense. But that doesn't encompass the wide variety of social differences between most men and most women that are largely socially ascribed. So when you have this dissonance here, where so much of what it means to be a man isn't actually what it means to be biologically male in both the modern world and throughout history in many cultures, there are differences between those two things. We have an issue. What is a consistent, rigorous, 100% of the time effective, applicable mode of gender? What works? The answer is nothing. It simply doesn't. It's a stupid concept, and we really shouldn't be respecting it much as a social construct at all. As long as people do respect it, we should go by the definitions that hurt people the least. That is, after all, why we build our definitions, to serve human utility. And to that effect. Uh, you call it the self-ID view. The prescriptive view I don't think is inconsistent, but I stand by this. What we mean when we say woman, a woman, is a person who chooses to adhere to a broad, constructed collection of values, aesthetics, forms, roles, and perspectives that we consider to be a part of what it means to be a woman. There is no consistency here, and you'll never find it. No more than you could find consistency in the definition of what it means to be cool. You know, find me a fine line on that. Point in the room where the cool, you know, the cool protons are, or the cool radiation. It just, it's not present, and you'll never find it. Um, but still, we have very strong ideas about what it means to be cool. And we argue, but the arguments are for a purpose. Because finding out who's cool, what's really cool, is socially useful, as is whatever definition we arrive at, which hurts the smallest number of people uh, concerning gender. And that is why I believe trans women are women, because all definitional statements are necessarily prescriptive. And as long as we are dealing with a system that is fundamentally, constructedly absurd, we should at least refer to it in ways that harm people uh, in the, uh, to, the, to the least possible extent. Okay, um, so you started that by saying you were going to respond to my premises, but I'm struggling to see how any of this responded to any premise of any argument I gave. Um, so let's go through some of the things you said. Um, you said all of these views are incoherent. You said there's no coherent concept of gender. Is that, is that right? Did I get you right there? You will not find me a definition of gender that is 100% consistent and all-encompassing and has no flaws in it. There are no such things. You'll, so, you, okay. you can't be found. So there's no consistent definition of gender. So no matter who I asked, if I asked anybody, what is a woman? No matter what they say, um, you think there's going to be some sort of impossibility or contradiction or inconsistency. You will always be able to find a hole or an exception, whether they oh. take a biological or a self-ID, a social okay. role, or an abolitionist perspective. There will always yeah. be. Well, gender abolition is a prescription, not a description of current gender states. But yeah. no matter what a person's definition of a woman is, there is always going to be something you can pin them on. Okay, so then it sounds like your view entails there are no women because there's no true definition of woman. No, not right? at all. There are plenty of social constructions that I think have meaning and serve utility, even if there are no consistencies to it. I think cool people exist, but I don't think I could ever find a single definition of cool that is perfectly delineates in all cat like categories and situations uh, between cool and uncool people. Okay, so you said the concepts are incoherent and inconsistent, but I think what you just mean is perhaps vague, so allow for borderline cases, 
or difficult to articulate. I think maybe that's what you mean when you say all definitions are incoherent and inconsistent, all definitions of gender anyway. I think what you mean is they allow for borderline cases. They'll be vague in various ways. Um, and what was the second thing I said? Vague in various ways and hard to articulate, difficult to articulate. It'll be hard to come up with or express or verbalize a definition that includes everyone who should be included and excludes everyone who should be excluded. So that's the view. I guess I would agree with that. Yeah, definitions are hard to come by typically. Um, and most of them, especially in biology, are vague and admit of borderline cases. But nevertheless, they may be true. <laughs> um, there may be true definitions, even if they're difficult to express or articulate. You gave the example, one of your arguments against the biological definition of uh, woman was that we didn't know about chromosomes many years ago. Well, first of all, I don't think biological sex is defined in terms of chromosomes. Um, but let's just use the example of water. Maybe we could agree that water is H2O. Um, that was true even before we knew about chemistry. That was the definition of water before anybody knew anything about chemistry, before we knew about H2O. Back when Aristotle thought it, water was just an element. Nevertheless, it was this H2O. True. I'm sorry? This isn't so, true. That water has not always been H2O? Yeah. All you have to do is cross the Mexican border. And over there, it's aqua. That's H2O, not water. Aqua means water. Aqua is water. It's when a different they, term. Actually, it's agua. It's not aqua, right? And we're referring <laughs> to terms and definitions here. No, I'm referring to water, the stuff that fills lakes and rivers. I'm the not talking about the word water. Many things fill lakes and rivers. Okay. Um, do you honestly things, not know what I mean when I talk about water? Or are you just I, being a little difficult? I think you, you made a mistake before you began that argument which is that you said just because people didn't always know something doesn't mean that it can't be true. But that can't be the case when we're talking about definitions. Things that are true have constructed premises that lead necessarily to an, an outcome, a resolution. But a definition is something applied presuppositionally. You can say, for example, that the light, the, the spectrum of light that we see, the visible spectrum of light, is something that exists outside of our perception. And that is certainly true. But how we perceive it is not existentially correct. And what's more, the definition between red, orange, and yellow is not something that you can find proven uh, anywhere uh, in the real world. We have to arrive at arbitrary distinctions. Um, so that's- Can, that's can I just ask you about water again? There. Do, you, do you not think water is H2O? But I think we've come up with a term to describe what we refer to as water. There okay, are, of I'm course, not, other cultures- I, that I agree with you. We came up with a term to talk about water, and that term right. is water. And we came up with terms to talk about hydrogen and oxygen. Um, but what's here, here's a sentence. Water is H2O. You know what those terms mean. Now think about what idea is expressed by the words. What's the thought that's expressed? We could express it in many different languages. Now think about the thought that's expressed by that sentence. That's true, isn't it? The thought that is expressed by the sentences. Water is H2O. What do you think? And it was long before we got here, long before humans got here. Water has always been H2O. Well, ice, of course, is also H2O, but water is it what is, we define it as within a given, you know, state. Ice is also water. It's not liquid water. Yeah, but colloquially, people refer to ice as ice and water as water. Yes. And whether or not they're going to use either of those definitions is going to come down to context. And what about heavy water, 2H2O, or deuterium oxide, which is referred to as water and is, in fact, a type of water, an isotope, uh, but is not, in fact, H2O. There's an extra hydrogen atom holding on there, making the substance denser. 
Mm. So if this is taking me back to chemistry class, but um, did you say deuterium? Is that right? Is that heavy water? Yeah. If that's a, just an isotope, is it an isotope of oxygen that makes that? If that's an isotope, it's still oxygen and it's still H2O, and that is still H2O. That's still it water. Is that's what a different chemical water. compound than water. Certainly, if people wanted to refer to it as a different type of thing, not water, but let's say they chose the term waterium. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Scientists come up with wacky names. If they wanted to come up with a term like that to describe it, they would have a significant taxonomical distinction to refer to, a different molecular composition. But we refer to it as water. You might say it's trans water. A bit of a difference, but fundamentally very similar. Okay. So you're resisting me on the claim that water is H2O. Um, let me try a different one. How I'm about... resisting you on definitional prescriptivism. I think that we have... Uh, I'm not I prescribing think that... any definitions. I'm just saying water is H2O, true or false. And it sounds like you're reluctant to say true. No, so I, no try... I, I agree. I, I agree that water... And we we refer to H2O as water colloquially. Yeah, of course. I'm, right. I'm fine so with water that. water is H2O. And it was H2O long before humans came along. Another water example wasn't a concept back then. I know, but nevertheless, water was there. Actually, water's never been a concept. Um, water's always been a molecule. <laughs> well, um, we have a concept of water, but the concept is not itself water. Um, but our understanding of it and the differentiations that we make when we distinguish it from things like heavy water, these are socially constructed. After all, you just said it's still fundamentally water, but we're talking about a different molecular shape. Now, that's because you've arbitrarily branch these two within a category that because there's a relationship between them. But that's a social phenomenon. Mm -hmm. The universe doesn't give a shit whether you refer to heavy water as water or some other, you know, molecule entirely. It's utterly indifferent to your perception of reality. But we still choose to prescribe. And that, I think, a lot of people, when it comes down to definitional games, you know, they start doing this, well, these things are these things. And, you know, we have a lot of power over that. Some Animals are different species, but we distinguish what makes something a different species. The taxonomy for what refers to species differentiation, we made that up. We didn't, we, we, we invented it. We didn't discover it. Yeah. So I agree with you that species are, um, the distinction between species is less clear than distinctions we would find in physics and chemistry. So that's why, um, no surprise, I'm focusing on physics and chemistry. How do we feel about the claim that gold is atomic number 79? Do you Would you agree with that? Or are you skeptical of that too? I, I think that's how we refer to it as, sure. Uh, I'll take that your word for it. I don't have the the the, the um, periodic table memorized. Yeah. Well, um, I'm benefiting from the fact that this is a bit of a commonly used uh, philosophical example. So that's really why I know that. Um, but yeah, gold, that term in English refers to um, a certain element that has 79 protons. It's atomic number 79. So gold has been around for a long time, long before the word gold came on the scene. Gold, cold, gold predates the word gold. So anyway, this is just supposed to be an example of a definition that's true. And we went down a rabbit hole a little bit. What do you mean by true? If, if we had taken another definition, if we had created another definition to say gold, and the term gold referred to a collection of, uh, of elements. So let's say gold and lead. And the term gold was something people used to refer to both. 
that definition would be as true as the one we use today for gold. They would have simply made the choice to include two different elements in their definition, just as you've included standard water and the isotope of heavy water in the definition of water. It's just a definitional game. As long as they distinguish between the two subcategories of gold and iron with their respective mm -hmm. atomic weights, the singular term, like how we have terms for metals, uh, we have terms for uh, for for the um, the uh, the gases, the inert gases. Help me out, you know more than me. The um, talk about the noble gases. The noble gases. Yes, we invented those distinctions. We, we invented saw the terms. The terms. Yes, because the distinctions are only meaningful when we notice them. The universe doesn't care whether or not we think there's something meaningful or significant about noble okay. gases versus the other stuff. But we just saw a, those differences. There is like, a different. Oh. oh. So we saw the differences. The differences were there. The differences are real. And then we came along and decided, you know what, we're going to name these differences. We're going to assign some names to these different um, elements. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm, I'm trying to remember why, why we started down this rabbit hole. Um, I didn't get very far through the things you said. Oh, is, I just the first thing I brought up was you had said all these views are incoherent. Um, but then we kind of clarified that what you meant was um, any any of the popular views of women that have been proposed are vague and difficult to articulate. And then I guess I was just trying to point out that um, a definition might exist and be true, even if it hasn't been articulated. Um, so like rewind before humans came on the scene, I would have thought water was H2O even before anyone was around to name water or to realize its chemical essence. Um, so I was just disagreeing with that point about um, how definitions work. I don't think definitions um, properly understood are linguistic entities. I think there are facts out there in the world. But there anyway, are facts, um, but are, whoa, 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 wait, I have to challenge that. There are facts in the world, but definitions are categorically linguistic. We create them because we identify differences yeah. in things that we see in the world. The facts of the world, there are many, the, the spectrum of light that we consider to be blue contains within it an infinite range of potential blue values. But we don't have an infinite number of names to describe them. There may be a set number of facts in the world, but the categories we use to separate those facts are entirely up to us and our perceptions. So yeah. another example of this for it would be like in terms of gender prescription, there are cultures historically that have had third genders for a long time. Often the third gender is a biologically male uh, a, a gender class that adopts roles that are much more similar to the biologically female. There are non-human animals that do this as well. You know, it's it's not it's not unique to us. Um, and in that case, there's there's a separate category. And maybe they felt clearly they felt that the categorical difference between these more feminized biological males and the regular biological males was something worth distinguishing in a in a gender oriented taxonomical sense. But that's not any more right or wrong than what we do. They just see different meaningful differences and apply different terms. So you can't make these objective arguments about terms. Terms may refer to the facts of the world, but we draw the borders. The land on earth might be, uh, uh, you know, um, objective, but the borders for, of the nations that we build over them, those we rule on on paper. We just have to be, you know, considerate of human need when we're describing what here we actually want to build. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, there was a there's a lot I disagree with in there, but I'm trying to be um, trying to be selective or efficient with our time here. Um, maybe let me just ask you this. Um, it sounded like in your response to me, you raised some objections to um, the biological view that I expressed that women are adult human females, and you brought up um, well, 
you thought you said, you know, we haven't always known about chromosomes. Again, I don't think that chromosomes figure into the definition of biological sex. You also mentioned intersex people. So it sounded like you were trying to argue against the, the reality of males and females. But then at other times you say, you know, there are other cultures that have a third gender that are biologically male. And I think you might agree that there are animals that are biologically male and biologically female. So I guess just let me, let me get clear on your view. Do you think that there are males and females of course. out there in the world? I believe it's bimodal. There are males and females, and okay. most people will fall pretty solidly on either end of the spectrum. But I do okay. feel there are a significant number of people who are closer to the middle in terms of intersex expression. Oh, well, if you also think that there are adults and humans, then um, what exactly is wrong with the definition that woman, women are adult human females? You believe in adults, you believe in humans, and you believe in females. Is it just you think there are counterexamples to this definition? Is that the problem? My belief in the value of a definition, it should be said first, is not determined by its consistency. There are consistent definitions that are still morally wrong. For example, um, the Nazis grouped humans into taxonomical categories, which at times were consistent, usually because they were very blunt and lacking in nuance. They were just monstrous and unnecessary. They were suitable to the Nazis in a political sense because they allowed for the dehumanization of large groups of people. But I don't think we review them in retrospect based on their consistency. Like, oh, well, they say any of the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel are subhuman. Ah, well, that's easy to find out with a 23 and me. Of course not. So I just, I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm only saying that my concern here, first and foremost, is not one of consistency. Even if the biological model was perfectly consistent, I would oppose it. But it's not. Um, yeah. Because chromosomal abnormalities are all it takes to throw this up for a loop. Especially because when you transition, you know, you do change your sex to an extent. Not entirely, but certainly there are categories of sex that are altered. When you have chromosomes of a certain designation, it determines the hormone washes that you receive, uh, both during puberty and um, in the womb. And that determines the shape your body takes, the genitalia you form, the ways in which your body develops. But if you have a trans woman who took puberty blockers before she hit puberty, then transitioned medically, you have a person who is let's say a doctor would not call them a biological male. In terms of the risk of breast cancer, prostate cancer, a wide variety of bone and heart-related conditions, this is not a person who'd be going to the doctor and saying, yep, I'm a male. And the doctor would go, yep, your problems are male problems. It just, it just, it wouldn't. So if that's the case, you know, where does that line fall? What about people who have the XXY chromosomal uh, abnormality or, or people whose Y chromosome doesn't sufficiently inhibit the development of the X chromosomal female hormones they receive? These categories are not, called for. And that's why traditionally doctors have just cut off the aberrant genitalia of intersex people or try to force people into yeah. roles that best made them fit a binary. It just doesn't always work. Okay. Yes. Um, I have watched some of your videos and I've heard your views on biological sex. And um, I think it's a commonly held view. About I love sex. What biological sex consists in. Um, I think it is based on a misunderstanding. I don't think that biological sex um, is defined in terms of chromosomes or genitals or hormone levels. And you can see that by just considering the full range of the plant and animal kingdom and how um, the sexes are realized across the plant and animal kingdom. And you'll see that there's no, no facts about genitals figuring into the definition, nothing about hormones, nothing about chromosomes. Um, so we can talk about that a little more if you'd like and try to get clear on what biological sex really is, but I just wanted to quickly point out that um, in my opening statement, what I argued was 
on all these proposals, it turns out that not all trans women are women. On every proposal, it is false that all trans women are women. So I'm not, I'm not really in a position that I need to defend the biological view. If you want to beat up on it and criticize it and reject it, okay. <laughs> all I said was, if this is what woman means, then not all trans women are women. And I guess we agree on that. Um, but I thought it would have been more pressing, given your views, to try to defend the charges that all those other proposals also entail, that not all trans women are women. And as far as I can tell, you haven't tried to do that yet. So well, the prescriptive view. would you is, like to talk about biological sex or should we move on to something a little more relevant? Uh, well, the biological sex thing, if, if it's something you feel the need to defend, we can. I assume this is your, you, you're the belief, of course, that a woman is defined by biology. Um, if you are asking me, what does the word ordinarily mean? Then I think those um, trans-inclusive philosophers that I quoted are correct. That is what the word ordinarily means. I think I'm not asking you what it ordinarily means. What do you think it means? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a woman? Well, I, if you were to ask me, what does it mean to be a computer or a television, or I'm just pointing at things in the room, I would take that question to be asking, what do those words ordinarily mean? I don't have my own private language. I communicate, I communicate using a public language that we all share. And so if you ask me what a word means, I would, I mean, and I didn't know, I might check the dictionary <laughs> to see your, what your this word ordinarily means. is entirely informed by tradition. You're, 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 you're aware, of course, of the fact that the majority of Americans today believe in accepting the identity of trans people by a slim margin. In 20 years, my view will be more popular than yours. Will you switch over then? Are you going to defer entirely to what you see in the dictionary? Then it would no longer be true that that's what the word ordinarily means. So, okay, well then, sure, then that's fine by me. If we're to hear, if we're here to make prescriptions, then sure. Um, my not, my I haven't problem, made any prescriptions. <laughs> you defer to sure prescriptions of others. All definitions are fought for, from the from the definition of soil in the books of, of geologists to the definition of skyscraper in the book of civil engineers. Everything is fought for. And I will fight for the definition, um, the prescriptive view that trans women are women. Um, because there is harm and inconsistency present in other definitions. Um, okay. I, can you can you tell me what the definition is that you defend? Sure. I think that woman, like the concept of woman, is an arbitrary and vague collection of aesthetics, values, roles, uh, a bunch of social constructions that are typically tied to sex uh, that just sort of float in the public conscious. They vary depending on where you are. What a woman is expected to be in the Bible Belt South is very different from what they're expected to be in like Seattle or whatever. Hold on a second. So when you said in the Bible Belt South, there's something that a woman is expected to be. Can you tell me who it is that's expected to be this way? What did woman oh, mean in that sentence? Well, whoever they would consider to be a woman, which overwhelmingly would be biologically female people. Uh, whoever they would consider to be a woman. Um, and what did woman mean there when you said, like, let, well, let's check who they would consider to be a woman. What did I woman already mean? said biologically female. You don't need to prompt it. I already said it. Biologically female? Yes. Oh, adult human females, you mean? Well, we are talking about adult humans, I, I assume. Okay, so you're saying what woman means is it's this collection of aesthetics, rules, and perspectives um, that are associated with women. And by women, you mean adult human females? Yes. Typically, the role okay. of woman in a social construct is one which is tied to sex. But that doesn't mean that it's prescriptively tied to sex. Or to give another example, uh, you're going to see types of music preferences, which are heavily associated with people's racial groups or nationalities. But that doesn't mean that there's an inherent 
uh, prescriptive association there, only that circumstantially these arbitrary associations came to be. Or to put it another way, the type of music that you're going to hear in Thailand hit like number one charts is pretty different to what you're going to hear like number one charting over here in America. But that doesn't mean that people over there are biologically inclined to that music as opposed to ours. It's due to proximate bias. People in that area of the world listen to that music because that's the music they have. And because that's the music they have, they pass it down to other people who are around who happen to be people in that part of the world. And likewise, you know, you have an example here of woman, a sort of broad definition um, that we do prescribe to biological females. But that's precisely my argument. See, I'm a, a, a libertarian here in the classical sense. I don't believe it's right to impart roles and responsibilities onto a person based on their birth genitalia. It's very weird to me. I'm not looking for an end to sex. Biological sex is always going to be a category we have to deal with, you know, for the foreseeable future at least. What I'm against is the idea that some arbitrary hormone washes you received while in the womb should decide a massive category of expectations and behaviors that are assigned to you afterwards. And that's what I'm talking about prescriptively. I don't think we should be saddled with that. True identities should be self-ascribed, which in this case, I believe they are. So this sounds like a view that I that was expressed in one of the quotations I provided in my slides. It sounds like you're giving voice to a social role view, according to which to be a woman is to, as you said in that quotation, um, want to internally and externally adhere to a certain sets a certain set of aesthetics, rules, perspectives, etc. Um, that's what it is to be a woman, um, to want to or to actually occupy um, a certain social role or a certain social position or live. It's up associated to certain- with women. I don't think it makes you a woman, though. Oh, but I had asked you what your definition of woman is. What makes someone a woman? Can, That's, I, thought, I thought you had answered that, but now we're going to get a different answer. These what, go into what woman is, the concept of woman. No, I'm asking a woman, about... in my prescriptive view, is simply a person who prefers to be associated with that broad range of archetypes. Any person um, who prefers to be associated, right? Yeah, that's the social role view. So what do you make of my argument that on that definition, not all trans women will be women? No, they would. Pref- they want to be associated with that broad range of archetypes, but that doesn't of, mean that their identity will. is dependent on fulfilling those roles. Well, there not are all trans women. Not all trans women will want to be associated with the, those aesthetics and rules and perspectives or whatever. But they right. are nonetheless by choosing to refer to themselves as women. What but if you ask them, woman, do you do you want to adhere to these expectations and roles and so on? I would have thought it's totally possible and probably actual for some trans women to say, "No, thanks." Sure. I mean, some women, some women say no thanks, right? Some cis women. Um, so then won't it follow then on this view that you're expressing that not all trans women are women? No, because they still subscribe to the archetype. The archetype merely contains the collection of social values that we associate with women. There this are cis subscribe. and trans women who, for example, want to be women, but fervently reject elements of what women are expected to be. But this doesn't make them any less of women. I'm only saying they've still chosen to associate themselves with that archetype, much as I choose to associate myself with the archetype of being a man. And there are roles associated with being a man that I'm not interested in adopting or fulfilling. Okay, so there's this archetype, archetypal woman. Um, And I guess if I'd asked you what this archetypal archetypal woman is, you would say, where's a dress? And where's pink? No, no. It's just a, what would you say? It's a collection of categories. I don't think there could be one archetypal women because there are so many. Uh, I was, I was so worried for, it was going to be really viciously stereotypical. No, no. There, there can't be one woman because these concepts are arbitrary and stupid. For okay. example. Well, when you say trans women subscribe to the archetype, what is the well, archetype? 
the archetype is defined by its name and all we tie to it. To give you an example, a woman, a stereotypical woman can be a very maternal, motherly, kind, gentle person, but they can also be like a Jersey Jersey Shore, like bratty, mall hopping, selfish type. Now, those are two archetypes of woman and femininity that are completely contradictory. You can't simultaneously be calm, caring, and motherly while also being, you know, selfish, bitchy, and like, you know, uh, money grubbing. Those don't fit. But nonetheless, they're both considered archetypes of femininity. So it's about associating yourself with the collection of categories rather than representing the singular archetype of those categories. Okay. So you had said a woman is anyone who subscribes to the archetype of woman. And then when I said, what is this archetype? You said is it is defined by the name woman, I guess. The collection of all we associate with it. Yeah. And we associate many things with woman, very few of which I think have to do with biology. There's a whole lot of social crap on top that you you kind of layer on there, you know? Um, there was another quotation I didn't include where you had said something like this and a way to avoid the circularity worry with a self ID version of, um, a self ID definition of woman is to say that a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman and then mention the word, don't use the word, just mention the word. Anyone who is willing to say things like I am a woman, um, anyone who's willing to, um, attribute that word to themselves. So then you avoid the circularity worry, but as I, I said, it. Yeah. I, I zooped, I zooped around okay. it. Well, as I said in my opening statement, if this definition isn't circular, then whatever you, whatever the definition means, um, it's going to exclude some trans women. And here's how it's going to work in this case. Um, this, this definition you just provided is going to make it so that being a woman is an English speaking affair. So there are no women outside of the English speaking world. You would have to be familiar with the word woman, attribute it to yourself. And so an implication is there are no non-English speaking women um, and there are no women before English came along. Um, I find those to be pretty implausible implications. I think that the category of woman didn't really exist in the form that it does as much as six months ago let alone throughout all of human history. You know, the the archetype I'm referring to, this broad collection of tropes and categories that I refer to as like the woman that we that women associate themselves with, you're right. It may not exist to people who don't speak English, but by the time they learn, there will be a different one. And right. it's different in every culture, in every neighborhood, in de- every society, at every point in time. Mm-hmm. It will constantly shift. I don't think there's an objective definition here, but if you're looking for some truly exclusionary stuff, I would agree that, any person who was raised by wolves in the forest and had never come into contact with human society could not be described as having a gender. I think their gender would have to be a some kind of uh, a, a recursive, um, it would have to be like a, a product of their engagement with social roles and expectations that they would have to develop, even if you could easily identify their sex. But that's okay. the only case I think Got where it. a human has no contact with gender roles because they're pretty ubiquitous all over. All We've over got to jump world. into the Q&A shortly. So- Maybe a oh, goodness. Time flies when we have fun. Sorry. Okay. Well, let me just respond quickly to a couple of things you said. You said um, it seemed like you were willing to concede that the category of woman didn't exist six months ago, you said? Not this category. Yeah. So then it sounds like you agree with me that your view does entail there are no women outside of English-speaking contexts. And in fact, you might even agree there were no women eight months ago. <laughs> um, so these are... These are surprising implications, to say the least. With, also, with respect, wait, if I may, with respect, not to get into linguistic traps here, because the concept changes, 
that doesn't mean that there weren't equivalents across time, culture, and society. German have a concept of Frau, you know, the Spanish have Muhr, whatever the fuck the Spanish term for, for woman is, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't literally mean the art, the concept, you know, the, the social the, collection the word. popped into existence here. But you're right, because depending on what word you use to refer to women, whatever word you have for that, it's going to be a different to, collection of Who roles. would you be referring to there? You said whatever word you use to refer to women. Who would you be referring to there? Well, anyone. Any anyone. Any no matter what word you use to refer to women as an archetype as, that will inform to an extent what you imagine women to be. And this is self-evidently true. Go to India. They don't have the word woman for woman, but they have very different expectations of what it means to be a woman over there yeah. than we do over here, massively so. And they have a lot of women there. Despite the fact well, that the word woman doesn't exist. Um yeah, I agree with you. Wait, with wait, with respect, I feel like I don't know if how you're interpreting what I'm saying here. They don't use the term woman. I they have, I don't know what the Indian term for woman is. Well, I'm some sure of them they do, have one. but yeah. Well, <laughs> some I'm of sure them do speak them. English, but right. go, go on. When I say the term doesn't exist outside the definition of woman, what I'm saying is that it is a multifaceted gem that changes with time. And we see it from different facets, depending on where we are and what we are. What mm. a woman is, is so different to like a Southern conservative bell than it is to a progressive living New York City. In fact, there's such different concepts in terms of the social roles involved that we, they, they're practically two different genders, honest to God. Um, that's all I'm referring to. So I'm not literally saying that the archetype, the range of concepts popped up into existence six months ago and exclusively exists in English. I'm only saying it's so multivariate, so arbitrary, so meaningless that there are a million variants of it right now and there were a million more yesterday. This might be a decent time to jump into the Q&A. I know that you've got another round in the chamber ready to fire. I love, Bogart, I love talking with you. Yeah, sorry. Both of you guys, I know you do, but I, I do want to jump into these because, folks, I got to tell you, too, I tried to spam the chat and let you know we can't take any more questions. We've gotten a ton of questions, and we have a limited time for the Q&A. These are both busy guys. We want to get them out of here at a decent time. So we're going to jump into it right now. Thanks very much. Elusive Viper says... Can you identify someone whose favorite color is red without identifying, quote unquote, red as your favorite color? Was this a question for me? Yeah, they hadn't can specified you, in this one. Can you identify, some, can you repeat the question? Can you identify yeah. someone? Yep, they said, can you identify as someone whose favorite color is red without identifying red as your favorite color? Can you identify as someone whose favorite color is red without, without what? Having red as your favorite color? Without identifying red as your favorite color. Oh, without identifying. Oh, I think this is supposed to be um, a counterexample to my claim that there's no feature such that you have it if and only if you identify as having it. And maybe what this person is asking is, isn't this an example? Um, having the feature of um, your favorite color is red or you, as they put it, identify um, your favorite color is red. Okay, so suppose we're thinking of that feature, having red as a favorite color. Is that going to be necessarily coextensive with identifying as having red as a favorite color? So no, I don't think, th I, I don't think so. I think that's going to be another example, just like being rich and being funny and being tall or whatever. Um, it is possible for your favorite color to be red and not know that your favorite color is red and not identify as having the favorite colors of and as having a favorite color of, um, I don't even know how to finish that sentence, <laughs> not identify in that way. Here's an example of how that could be. Um, 
suppose you're just new to colors. You, you were colorblind from birth, but a surgery was performed and now you're seeing colors for the first time, but it's just color splotches on the wall and you don't know which color is which, but you know that one's your favorite. Um, so your favorite color is red, but you don't know that this color is red. You don't identify as having a favorite color as red. Um, so that would be an example to show how those two could come apart. Um, can I just butt in really quick and say, um, I meant to um, start the debate in a more sort of irenic way and say something nice about Vosh, um, but then we just got straight into the <laughs> straight into the definition stuff. I wanted to say that um, when I had first gotten this invitation, I mean, I didn't know about this corner of YouTube or Twitch or wherever I am right now. I, I didn't know about it. Um, but after watching a lot of videos in this corner of the internet, um, I was really heartened and encouraged by the sort of thing that Vosh is engaged in. Um, you know, debating and exchanging arguments, evaluating arguments, giving objections. Um, sometimes, you know, a middle-aged person like me worries about kids these days um, and how they're not really interested in arguments or evidence anymore. So I was just happy to see that there's this community thriving. Um, again, on, I don't even really know what Twitch is, but if that's where it is, good for you. And I'm happy you're doing it. Um, and I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Wanted to say that before time ran out. I'll respond when I get a question then. You got it. This one coming in from Sphincter of Doom. I think this is for you, Vosh. They say intersex people are still one of two sexes because sex is defined in humans as to what gametes are produced and every human every has only produced at most one of two gametes for reproduction. Um, so... Yeah, that's just not true. Um, you can look at any biological journal if you want. Um, the funny thing is, is that like the definition keeps receding as it keeps getting proven wrong. Like at first it was like genitalia, but that doesn't correspond perfectly to biological sex. And then it was chromosomes and that doesn't correspond either because there are chromosomal abnormalities that correspond with like intersex. And then it's like gametes, you know, it's like, and they keep running back and running back, and running back. Eventually like people who are super harped in this argument are going to settle on a definition of sex that has absolutely no utility, you know, like their definition of sex is going to be like, okay, here, we finally found something consistent. There are only one of two possible outcomes, whether or not like the, the, the half-life decay of this atom spun left or spun right in the in the exact moment the cell was fertilized and that's the one thing that determines sex and it's like okay at this point like what are you talking about like, shut the fuck up um yeah it's just not true um but like they can believe whatever they want about biological sex um because like at the end of the day the the the, the biological argument on this has been more or less settled. You know, all the major biological journals are talking about the ambiguity of sex and how it's bimodal and so on. So I feel like at, the, at this point, there are people far more qualified than I to make that argument about how much variance there is. And to, to follow uh, to follow up on that, I, I enjoyed talking with you very much, Thomas, or uh, Dr. Bogardus, I should say. You, you see, I'm so me, used to, you can You can call me Thomas. Cal, Thomas, I'm so used to talking to YouTubers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to... Um, uh, to speak with with people with a higher education, um, especially ones who take my argument seriously enough to quote me in their PowerPoint presentations. Uh, no, it's it's been a delight. Thank you for being on here. Next up from Brenton Langle, a longtime friend of the channel, says H2O is a symbol. Dr. Bogardis, I think that you are confusing the symbol for the real thing it refers to. All symbols and definitions are flawed as if they weren't they would be the thing itself and not the symbol. All right. Um, was that, that wasn't really a question, though. Correct. You're <laughs> right. That's true. Um, so the claim was H2O is a symbol. So, um, I mean, 
speaking verbally, it's hard to make a use mention distinction, but I, if the person meant, quote, H2O is a symbol, well, yeah, I agree. You mean like that symbol, H2O, yeah, that's a symbol. But if you meant H2O, like the thing that's in this bottle, no, that's not a symbol. <laughs> that's a molecule that we drink um, and we're not drinking symbols. Um, so yeah, we're, I think that the confusion there is just between using the, the term H2O and mentioning the term. Um, so we use the term when we say, you know, there's H2O in that lake over there. We mention the term when we say H2O features the letter H or something. Um, so I, I guess I don't disagree with what the person said as long as the person meant mentioning H2O, it's a symbol. Yeah, I agree. Water has five letters. Yeah, with quotation marks. Water has five letters. Yes, water has five letters. No, water doesn't have any letters at all. The stuff that we drink doesn't have any letters at all. Um, that's a pretty basic distinction, but I think it's important to uh, recognize and appreciate. All right. You got it. Singer of Doom strikes again. Says heavy water isn't an extra hydrogen. It's an extra neutron in the hydrogen. It's still H2O. Yes. Okay, so I think I got that wrong if I said it was an isotope of oxygen that makes it... Is it deuterium? Did we say that? So it's an isotope of hydrogen. I forget. It's an isotope of hydrogen. So I guess it's one proton and one neutron. Is that right? Whatever. Still H2O, though. <laughs> um, this... Yeah, well, I guess... I guess I need to wait until it's appropriate to respond to the biological sex stuff. Um, so maybe I'll get a question about that. I'll just hold tight. <laughs> you got it. This one from Sid Dave says, I can answer that question. Let's see. No, they are not, no matter how many surgeries. Let's see. Okay, that's not as... Brenton Langle, there's your question, says, H2O is not water in the same sense that the pipe and Renee Magritte's, let me know if I'm saying that wrong, treachery of images is not a pipe you are falling for the treachery of concepts. Yeah, right. So I think they're referring to that painting of a pipe, and then it says this is not a pipe. Yeah, it's a painting. It's not a pipe. So it's, it's doing the equivalent of mentioning a pipe, um, but there's no actual pipe there. Um, so I think this is the same as uh, the last sort of statement I got when I was told H2O is a symbol, um, not a molecule. Yeah, H2O is a symbol. But H2O, the stuff in lakes and rivers, is not a symbol. This is just a difference between word and object. Um, but I can assure you I appreciate that distinction, and I, I hope we all do. You got it. This one from David Crackle says, If ice can be water, why can't a trans woman be a woman? Oh, wow. <laughs> if ice can be water, which it can be, I think it is water because it's H2O, why can't a trans woman be a woman? I assume that question's for me. Well, ice is water because, um, come to find out, it's the same stuff that liquid water is. Um, it's all the same stuff, just in different phases. It's all H2O. It's the same thing, just in different arrangements. That's why ice is water. It's not liquid water. It's solid water. Okay, so now the question is, is a trans woman a woman? Well, that would depend on what woman means, and then we'd have to check um, whatever woman means is it the case that being a trans woman guarantees that you're a woman in that sense? And I think the reason, as I said, this is such a persistent philosophical puzzle is it turns out that um, on all the views that are sort of being discussed in the literature, uh, the answer is no. Um, it doesn't turn out that all trans women are women. Whatever woman means, um, 
it's going to be possible for someone to identify as a woman while being assigned male at birth, but not meet that definition of woman. You got yeah. it. Yeah. This one for Vosh. Made by Jim Bob says, if the term woman is a construct, doesn't that mean, quote, trans women are women isn't actually true and is just a construct itself? Something being a construct and being true aren't mutually exclusive. Most things that we say when we're referring to interpersonal interactions are only true in a constructed sense, but I still think that they're true, you know. Um, otherwise, I mean, what, what does it mean for a person to be tall? You know, there's no set definition of what percentage or what, like, how many orders of magnitude above the average height of a given type of person, a given type of area. Like, there's no, just because something's constructed doesn't mean it's not true. You know, you can say a person's seven feet tall and be true as hell to that, but finding a concrete definition, a non-constructed definition of tall is not something you're going to be able to do. Um, yeah, so there's nothing wrong with something being socially constructed. I just think we should be aware of how much power we have to rearrange these terms as we see fit. That's not playing God. That's what we've always done. We've always done that forever. It's all we can do. We made language, you know? Um, I just think that we should use it responsibly. You got it. Singer Doom strikes again. This one for you, Vosh, says... Sex is the reproductive condi condition of an organism. In humans, this is achieved via gametes, and there are only two gametes in humans that leads to reproduction. Chromosomal aneuploidy, which meaning whether there's a lack of chromosome or an extra chromosome compared to usual, is irrelevant, they say. <laughs> So keep switching up the definition of what sex is. It was all chromosome years ago. No, again, like the biological community has made its mark on this. The idea that sex is purely binary and not bimodal is just not something taken seriously in um in, in, in studies to this effect. So it's it seems quite silly. Look, again, like even if you could, even if you could like 100 percent male, female differentiate, it wouldn't change any of my prescriptions. You could make it, you know, so flatly and unchangeably biologically male and female with nothing in between and i would still say what i say it's not really relevant to my arguments it's only the fact that you're wrong gives credit to the argument that the biological uh differentiation is inconsistent at best and quite harmful uh, as well um you know also who no, talking about gametes like any, like anyone looks at a person's gametes when they're trying to gender a person come on that's always been the silliest argument, right? They start going back before. First it was what genitals are like you have tits or not or what your hair looks like. And then it goes further and further in. You know, uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be the half-life, the radioactive decay, that, that spin that you're going to get. And that'll, that'll, that'll determine it. We'll, we'll just judge our... <laughs> we'll decide whether people wear suits or dresses based on that spin. Made by Jim Bob says, Vosh, can someone with ben Benjamin Button disease, if you guys, uh, namely like aging backwards claim an age inconsistent with birth date but consistent with their apparent biological age i don't entirely know what that means but if the if this is a question of like being trans age or whatever um keep in mind we're talking about magic here i mean you would have a person who's like what five years old but has every imaginable uh, you know, um, a trait associated with an 85-year-old or something. I, I have no idea. You know, I got to tell you, I don't know how the legal system or the philosophical community would handle the existence of such a person. Um, you know, I, I imagine if they had the knowledge and wisdom and experience of an 80-year-old, even if they were only five years old, they would probably be treated as like an 80-year-old because they're like, they, they, they look and act like one. I don't really know, though. You know, you got, when that happens, okay, you can try to stump me. You got it. This one coming in from Raymond Ryder. Appreciate it. it says, Bosch, 
is it the case that you're engaging in an ameliorative project when you mentioned normative standards for definitions? Isn't this just shifting the subject? I love to ameliorate the, the, the conjugated definition of the of, of the, the superlative. Wait, what was it? I can't tell if that was if that was a real question or if it was making fun of how I talked. Which either way, fair. <laughs> I could I could explain it if you want. That was a sort of question from the. Oh, was it an actual question? Whenever I hear the word ameliorate, I assume people are making fun of me because I use that word the, most people, the way most people use ums. You know, wait, can you wait, James? Can you repeat it? I just need to hear it again. I'll take it more it's seriously. It's the first time I've ever fuzzed. seen ameliorate, or in this case, ameliorate. It's a it's a technical term from the literature. I'd be happy to just tell you what it means if you want. No, I know what it means. I just wasn't listening to the question because I assume I was listening for like funny. I was thinking of funny jokes that I could say in response. Um, <laughs> they said Vosh seems to be engaging in an ameliorative project when he mentioned normative standards for definitions. Isn't this shifting the subject? Um, no, I don't think there are any types of other arguments that you can make when it comes to definitions. I think that at the end of the day, even when you're making descriptive arguments about definitions, you're ultimately making the prescriptive statement that we should adhere to the commonly accepted decryptive, uh, descriptive statement. I don't think there's any way around that. After all, these are things that we construct. I mean, we all, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, um, like slavery, right? You know, like people make arguments for and against it, or at least they used to. Well, they still do, but they did more in the past, you know. Um, but if a person's only statement on the subject is slavery exists for X reasons, even though that would be a descriptive argument, if that was all they contributed to the discussion, it would still serve the role of a soft prescriptive argument in favor of the institution. Because when something exists and has the capacity to be changed, an acceptance of and passive defense of the purpose of such a system is considered to be um, a, a kind of soft prescriptive argument for it. So, of course, yeah, I'm not saying this all slavery. I'm just saying, yeah, it's uh, you got it. It's been known then, to happen. Doctor Bogardis, are you saying that in the like specifically the word ameliorative is a concept or term from the philosophy of gender in particular? Ameliorative, ameliorative inquiry is a little phrase that has a very specific meaning in this um, philosophy of gender literature. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you what I'm it means? I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, I it's wonder. just, um, it's sometimes called um, conceptual engineering. And it's the project I described when I said like, hey, we've got this um, biological definition. Even trans-inclusive philosophers agree. That's what the word has traditionally, historically meant. But then when I said like, they don't, they don't like that, they don't recommend it. Um, they think that we should use the word woman to express a different concept. And when they're deciding which concept to express with the word woman, they call this, um, this is ameliorative inquiry. It's a kind of inquiry or attempt at coming up with an analysis um, that is meant to make the world a better place to ameliorate injustices. And so there are um, explicitly moral inputs into the project. They're asking, their, they're asking themselves what concept would do the most good in the world. And so I think Vosh is engaged in this sort of project, um, but yeah, it is a technical term from the literature. Um, so the worry is, by doing that, by self-consciously using an old word to express a new concept, you're just, you're changing the subject. So feminism was about the cause of women, adult human females, but now we're just using the word woman and expressing a new concept, maybe the social role view or the self-ID view or something like that. And so we're not talking about women anymore. We're talking about something else. We've changed the subject. So this is a common worry about the whole conceptual engineering project. We'll just be changing the subject. But I think that's, just for what it's worth, I think that's the least serious worry. <laughs> I think the, 
the more serious worry is all the definitions that have been proposed are trans exclusive. You got yeah. it. And this one from Mr. Saxaki says, Dr. Bogardis, what is your own definition, though, of woman? And by your own logic, it can't be cultural, nor social, nor plastic, nor prescriptive. Nor plastic. Oh, wow. Nor prescriptive. Um, so again, if you just ask me, what is my definition? I would say I don't speak like a little private language. Um, I speak a language shared by a community. And so I think the question is just, what does this word ordinarily mean? Um, what has it meant for the history of feminism up until at least the second wave? What did it mean? Um, and again, trans-inclusive philosophers agree ordinarily, historically, traditionally. Um, it's meant adult human female. Um, and I'm just going to use this opportunity to say what it is to be female or what it is to be male. Um, so I agree that if you ask people what is biological sex or what is it to be male or what is it to be female, you'll often get from ordinary people answers in terms of genitals or chromosomes or maybe hormone levels or maybe like stereotypes. Um, I don't know if you watched that Matt Walsh documentary, but he asks people, you know, what is it to be a woman? And you get these sorts of definitions in terms of genitals, stereotypes and so on. Um, but as we briefly discussed during our little back and forth, if you accept that um, sexual reproduction it occurs across the animal and plant kingdom and has been going on for a very long time, um, longer than Saturn has had, has had rings, it turns out, longer than Polaris, the North Star, has existed, um, this is a very old sort of strategy that organisms have used to reproduce, um, you'll realize that Genitals are not required, um, I'm told, I haven't actually checked, but I'm told that a lot of male birds just lack external genitals entirely. Um, there's no particular sort of chromosome structure that you need in order to be male or female. If you just think about how plants do it, it's super complicated. Think about how a platypus does it, it's very, very different from how we do it. Um, hormone levels aren't required, you don't need any sort of particular hormone level. My understanding is the most basic organism that reproduces sexually is something called, I think it's pronounced placozoa or something, a placozoa. And it's only a couple thousand cells. Um, but what makes it the sort of organism that has males and females is um, some of them produce sperm, some of them produce eggs. That's all that biologists have ever meant um, by male and female. Now, I agree that ordinary people have been confused about what it means to be male and female, and sometimes they're confused by a sort of chauvinism about our own species. But if you just think about what biologists mean when they study other organisms, when they say of a flowering plant, here are the male parts and here are the female parts, they are talking about gametes. And when they say males produce sperm, females produce ova, they mean the same sort of thing that they would mean if they said hearts pump blood, kidneys filter waste. They mean when functioning properly. This may be interfered with due to age, disease, injury, et cetera. Um, but when functioning properly, that's what happens. Wait, I, I, ha I have to jump in briefly. How can you how can you defer to traditional definitions when using one that you have to correct the majority of people on? The majority of humans, when asked what it means to be a man or a woman, are not going to give the d definition you just provided. They're like the common definition was the one you were referring to earlier, the traditional one, the one you use in 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 light of a or in absence of a prescriptive one. But now you're making a prescriptive statement that maybe one in a thousand humans would even get in the ballpark of. Yeah. And you can't even defer to scientific definitions either, because the science on this matter, if you go to American Scientific or Nature.com, don't agree with you. You're deferring to a definition which is neither scientifically accepted or commonly accepted. So why earlier were you talking? 
talking about how you just defer to the commonly accepted one. And you said that you don't want to weigh in on this topic as to what it means because, you know, you just go with what's commonly accepted. That's not the case at all. It's not commonly accepted. What it means to be a woman is literally one of the most hotly discussed topics today. It's hugely contentious. I mean, that's like somebody asks you what honor means and you're like, well, I go by the historical definition of honor. But there is no single historical definition of honor, certainly not when used today. It varies massively. It feels mm-hmm. like you're trying to assume the legitimacy of the common definition when the one you use is used neither commonly nor specifically by yeah. scientists. Okay, I think this is a good point, Vash, and this really brings up something that we disagree very deeply about. Um, namely, I think when you use the word definition, what you really mean is like the conception that people have in their minds when they use a word. Um, so if I were to ask someone, what does male mean? They might say, XY chromosomes or something like that. And you say that's their definition. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the right use of the word definition. I would have thought um, that you don't look towards their conceptions, the sort of associations they have in their mind when they use a word. And you don't even look at the way people use words because it's possible for a word to be systematically misused. What you should look at is what the word actually refers to. It might be commonly misused and people might have mistaken conceptions about what it is. Um, but the true definition, the real definition. So you just have to word, infer that, the divine definition? Like all no. the people are wrong, the science. Well, we do, we do investigation. Let me, give, let me give you an example. If you had asked Aristotle, what is water? He, would have, he might have given you his conception and he would have said something like it's an element, although he would have said it in Greek. Um, yeah, and it might have been possible. Yeah, it's probably possible that some people have systematically misused the word water if they were unwilling to attribute it to ice. But here's how we figured out what water is. We did some chemistry and we investigated the lakes and the rivers and the ice and we found out, oh wow, turns out water is not an element. It's a molecule, it's H2O. We did something similar with biological sex. We noticed this interesting distinction in nature, which I think you yourself acknowledge. There's this phenomenon of sexual reproduction, and we get these two subtypes within a lot of species. Some of them produce sperm, some of them produce um, ova, at least when functioning properly. But we're talking about what it means to be a woman, though. Well, I was talking about what biological sex is a moment ago. Well, biological sex, which you think infers what a woman is. Which I think implies what a woman is. I agree that it might imply it. I don't think that implication is necessarily prescriptive determination, though. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I was just being a little pedantic there. Um, Inference is something that people do. Implication is something propositions do. Don't worry about it. Um, So I guess you're referring to the fact that I said ordinarily the meaning of the word woman is adult human female. That's the meaning. No, my, my issue is that it feels like earlier you were taking a non-prescriptive tone where you were just referring to commonly accepted definitions, which only work if you're thinking about like modern history, the West, because when you brought out, there are plenty of counterexamples. But but then when it comes to like, OK, well, what do I believe? Then you have a hyper specific definition and you justify the validity of that definition by saying that it differs not from utility, not from common acceptance, not from popular use but rather from it being a true definition, which seems like an like an ontological distinction that you're receiving from God. But I'm afraid I'm not hearing the voices in my head. I don't know what that means. Yeah, oh boy. So a lot just happened there. Um, so when I described that biological view, I, I did claim this is what the word ordinarily means. I might have said this is the way it's ordinarily used. And I think that's right. I don't think it's being ordinarily um, misused. 
Um, but if I were going to state the claim as precisely as possible, I would say this is what the word ordinarily means. And when I say that, I don't mean to say this is what people ordinarily have in mind when they express the word, because obviously they don't. If you ask ordinary people, what is a woman? They're like, oh, this is something Socrates discovered. You know, you ask people about ordinary terms and they're at a loss to articulate a definition. So when I say this is what the word ordinarily means, I don't mean this is what people have in mind when they use the word. I don't even mean necessarily this is the way the word is ordinarily used, because again, use is at best an imperfect guide to meaning. What I mean is this is what the word um, refers to. As it's ordinarily used, I don't think it's misused. This is what the word refers to. How do you decide what it refers to? So the same way we did with water. Um, Aristotle was interested in the same sort of stuff that we were interested in. We have different words for it. Um, he thought it was an element. We have discovered through scientific investigation that it's a molecule. And now we know water is H2O. We did that through scientific investigation. We did something similar with biological sex. I mean, Aristotle was aware of this phenomenon, but he was not aware of the gametes involved. We have discovered the scientific essence of biological maleness and biological femaleness through scientific investigation. There's no such thing as a scientific essence. You can discover yes, facts of the world, but the categories that you apply on top of those facts are something that we have to make decisions about. So mm -hmm. you can look at water and determine consistently that you know H2O, this number of hydrogen and oxygen atoms, because that's an observable fact of the universe. But as soon as you start to draw lines between things and assign names to those different categories, you are engaging in arbitrary speculation, ones which can only be defined through the utility served by doing so. All of this differentiation that we talk about, the only reason we distinguish between males and females is because we feel it provides us some utility. But when we talk about what we're referring to on a fundamental level, the fact of the matter is, when it comes to sex, there's a ton of variants, not just in our own species, but others. It's not just chromosomes. There are sex characteristics that vary tremendously, even within cis people. And there's no hard line when we look at those things. And I don't think there's a perfect track record of assigning that like categorization onto gender either. In fact, I know for a fact there isn't because there are cultures with third genders. So. I don't know what you mean by the true essence here, but I don't feel as though this, this mode of investigation gives us a better understanding of what it means to be a woman. So when I said um, we've discovered this, the scientific essence of water, what I meant was H2O. We've discovered the essence of gold, which is atomic number 79. This is something we've discovered through chemical investigation. Um, that's all that's necessary to be gold, is to be atomic number 79. Of course, the Greeks were aware of gold. Um, humans throughout time and place have been aware of gold. They weren't aware of what it is, essentially. Um, chemistry disclosed that to us. That's what I meant by scientific essence. And I think biologists did something similar with biological sex. There were sort of crude theories about how sexual reproduction is accomplished back in the early days of science. We have since discovered facts about sperm and eggs, and that was a discovery of the scientific essence but how of how to categorize sex. them like the fact that we consider isotopes to still be a member of that element and if an isotope has one extra um, neutron we consider that to be a member of the same element but just a, a different isotope of it but if we wanted to we could have simply said oh that's just another element it's another element with a separate name that has a separate molecular structure and they would have pointed at it and gone ah yeah well that's you know obviously it's very similar to this other element but as you can see there's an extra neutron so it can't possibly be the same you know, is this previous one. Um, but, th but that's what yeah. I mean. Like, like discovering facts of the world is not the same as taxonomy. It's not the same as categorization. I want to give Dr. Bogardis the last word just because the question was originally for him. And then we've got one last mm -hmm. question for the Q&A before we wrap up. 
I kind of forgot what the original question was at this point. Um, I guess I'll just, I don't really want the last word to be about noble gases, but um, here we go. Um, I guess I just deny that when we're investigating the world, our primary interest when we like decide, you know, what words should we introduce? What distinction should we make? I don't think our primary interest is utility. Rather, we're interested in the truth. Like if it had somehow turned out that not distinguishing between the noble gases had somehow benefited humanity. Like if we had learned that, you know, if we just stick with Aristotle's view or we've just got these five elements, humans will be much better off. Scientists wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have cared. They just wanted to know the truth. And they saw these distinctions between the noble gases and they were like, let's introduce some terms to name what's already there. I think that's what we did in physics and chemistry and um, in biology. This one coming so, in. So what? Sorry What's about that, James? Go ahead. Okay. I didn't interrupt. Nah, that was that was probably as good a time as any to stop. We'll jump in with this last question, and then want to remind you, folks, our guests are linked in the description. So, if you have not heard enough, if you're like, I want to hear more, I want to learn more about their views, you certainly can by clicking on those links in the description box below. And here is that question: Brandon Hansen asks Bosch, "Can a person who has male genitalia, XY chromosomes?" has absolutely no values slash archetypes that has ever been associated with any vague definition of women, but takes the name of woman, are they? Yes. Though I have to say, I have no idea what a human would have to be in order for their behavior or personality to have no overlap with any of the many incompatible, incoherent, and self-contradictory values we associate with what it means to be a woman. They would have to be remarkable. I'm trying to think of like a like a male actor, like even Dwayne The Rock Johnson acts like kindly and charitable sometimes, you know, every time he smiles, well, smiling is considered a feminine characteristic. So, yeah, I don't know. You, you would have to find a brick, you know, like a proper brick. But, you know, God, God bless her, you know, transitioning saved her. You got it. And with that, I want to say, folks, we really do appreciate our guests. As I mentioned, you can find their links down below in the description box. That includes if you're listening at the podcast, because we put our guest links in the description box there, too. So I want to say one last thank you. It's been a true pleasure for this very cordial, stimulating conversation. Vosh and Dr. Bogardis, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a tremendous pleasure. Thank you very much. 100%. Stick around, folks. I'll be right back with a post credit scene letting you know about upcoming debates that you don't want to miss. With that, thanks so much one last time to our guests, and I'll be right back in just a moment. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.